Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and our Week in IndyCar series, our interview show here with the Marcus Erickson, ringing in via WhatsApp in Italy, got home from Japan Saturday night from the Grand Prix, spent Monday kind of sort of at home in Sweden, then caught a flight out Monday night to Italy where he's starting off-season physical and mental training. So, been a busy boy. Also had a couple of breakups here in the call, but doing our best. Thanks, WhatsApp. Greatly appreciated. Phone communications by Wi-Fi. Glad to hear that Marcus has landed at a home with Chip Ganassi Racing, where I expect he's going to have a phenomenal season next year. Something where he can really start to show his talents. Something we have not seen in a while. If we look back to his time in Formula One, even his debut season in IndyCar was not always in the right position, right team, right circumstances to let whatever amount of talent he has fly. And so I think what we are going to look forward to next year, I think what we're going to see is the real image of what Marcus Erickson has to offer as a race car driver. And for that, I am excited. I want to say thank you, as always, to the great folks that make this show possible, in addition to you, our listeners, and the questions you send in every week for our guests. Also to Cooper Tires, huge support of what we do here. The Justice Brothers, their line of automotive chemicals and lubricants, been a big part of my career, actually back to the very first year, as I was a young mechanic and gopher in 1986, started using Justice Brothers products. So pretty cool that they are continuing their role in my life now as a partner with the podcast. And also, as always, torontomotorsports.com, the crazy, crazy Canadian folks that do so many good things with us, whether it's T-shirts, stickers, memorabilia, whatever, they have our back. Also, finally, Bell Racing Helmets USA, Another huge support of what we do here. So thanks to all them for making this show happen every week. Following this, going to do as we have been doing and breaking your Q&A for me out into a separate show. Really happy to see I, I came across this piece of information last night at about 1 a.m. Climbing into bed, just out of curiosity, took a look at some of the download stats and info and saw that the Q&A show, something just started doing recently, I don't know, maybe a month ago or so month and a half top two most downloaded episodes over the last 30 days happen to be your q a shows the listener q a versions of the weekend in indycar so that's great to hear uh first second and seventh i believe in the top 10 so we're going to keep doing it so thank you there that should be coming out tomorrow wednesday and finally as i mentioned here with marcus also fun looking at where the downloads are happening Good old US of A, number one, not a big surprise. The UK, number two, also not a surprise. Canada's been number three. Uh, we're not far from Sweden overtaking Canada, though, for number three, which is just amazing. And we would have to give all the credit to Marcus and Felix Rosenquist for drawing folks to this silly little podcast that we do. So thanks to everyone in Sweden who sent in great questions and who happens to be listening along to two of my favorite drivers here in the NTT IndyCar series. All right. As usual, great questions from you. We had a really fun time with Marcus. I don't know, I think 45 minutes, 50 minutes, something like that. So 
Hopefully you enjoy here on the Weekend IndyCar and the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, Bell Racing Helmets, USA, and pay a visit to our pals at torontomotorsports.com. On our listener Q&A show, we'll mention the listener this week, three of you who won gift packs from torontomotorsports.com, all based around last week's guests, James Hinchcliffe and Alexander Rossi. So let's get going with our man, Marcus Erickson. It's always good when we have a Marcus Erickson visit for the Week in IndyCar show because it's not just you. It is millions of your countrymen and countrywomen, seemingly, who want to tune in and connect with you, Marcus. First of all, thanks for joining us again. But second of all, how cool is it to know that you doing this IndyCar thing, you've brought an entire country with you, my man. You guys are almost in P3 in terms of, of nations and downloads of my little podcast. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's uh, it shows that we, we, we might be a small country, but we, we do love our motorsport and, and IndyCar in particular, apparently. So, no, it makes me super happy and, and, and proud as well that, you know, I have so, you know, me and Felix, we have so many uh, people back home following our progress uh, over in America. And, and I think also it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's something that IndyCar should also take credit for because, you know, it is such a fun series to watch. I know when I speak to people, when I speak to my fans, you know, uh, everyone is just saying it's so much fun to watch IndyCar. It's such a fun series, you know, that the races are a lot of action, a lot of things going on. So for sure, you know, me and Felix being there, it's, it's, it's made people start watching IndyCar again. Uh, but for sure, if the if the show wasn't any good, people would not stick around and watch, continue to watch it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean... Pretty questionable taste among Swedes and podcasts, though, because, you know, if they're listening to mine, clearly, you know, that they can do a lot better. But here, I, think, I think that's not true. Oh, come on. So the first question I have, and we have a ton of great listener questions we're going to get to, but I was thinking about this last night. I know I've told you this before. I've mentioned on the show that I'm the son of a British and Swedish car mechanic. And so I grew up at Pruitt's old English garage where my father specialized in all kinds of leaky British vehicles, also Saabs and Volvos. Then his next shop was Park Road Saab Service. So the blue and yellow flag has just been a huge part of my life. And then I was thinking back last night, I have owned a Saab 99, Saab 900, Saab 900 Turbo, Saab 9000 Turbo, Owned a Volvo 244, shit brown, but I loved it. I couldn't kill it. It was called the Volvo from hell, 250,000 miles. And then a Volvo 850 turbo. Curious how many of your home country vehicles you have owned in your relatively young life. I'm pretty impressed by that list, I have to say. Um, I've uh, actually, I have a pretty good story. So on my in Sweden, you have to be 18 years old to to have a driving license. And um, on my uh, 18 years uh, birthday, I uh, I took my driving license that day. And probably, I think it was a week or two before that, I bought my first car, uh, which was a Volvo 740 from 1990, the same year <laughs> I was born. So an 18-year-old car. Um, I think it cost like, 800 bucks or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, that's about um, right. That's about right. Uh, re- real wheel uh, drive. 
And so that was my first car. I was very proud of it, driving around, you know, town, 18 years old, with that, uh, and it was like dark red, terrible color, but I thought it was pretty cool. So that was, that was my car for the, like, I think I had it for two years or something. Then I sold it to a friend who crashed it into like a tree or something. Thankfully, he was fine. The car was not so fine, but you know, that's how it goes sometimes. But yeah, that was that was my first car. Most Volvos, and, when they hit a tree, kill the tree, and the Volvo drives exactly. off just fine. This is very true, actually. So I don't know how we managed to do that, but you know, good that's man. How it goes. But I, I, yeah, I liked that a lot. That was fun. Good man. Well, there, there's some pretty good Saab and Volvo owner clubs here in the country. Maybe we can get some of them to come out to IndyCar races. As usual, you have attracted a bunch of great questions from your fans and my listeners. Let's start off with our man, Thomas Gross. Says, Marcus, it'd be easy to ask you to just gush and rave about IndyCar and how great it is compared to Formula One, but I'm curious to hear about some of the things you think IndyCar could learn from F1 from a competition standpoint. Curious if there are any things you can think of you might like to see implemented here in IndyCar you've experienced in F1? Uh, it's a difficult question to like, like straight from like, um, without having a lot of think about it. I, I think like I've said all year, you know, I, I've loved IndyCar and, and, and the racing and, and especially the, the way the field is so close together. Um, so like out of the blue, like a question like this, I think it's difficult to, to say, uh, obviously, in, uh, Formula One obviously goes all over the world, and, and that's you know creates a lot of interest all over the world. Uh, you know, one topic cars, that that folks raised that that might be a good one to get your thoughts on is the use of virtual safety cars in F one, and whether you think that could be something that helped IndyCar at all, or do you like the style of how things are done differently? I don't know. I think it's pretty cool the way it is in IndyCar with the sort of that moment of the. Uh, uh, unknown, you know, when, when a safety car hits and, you know, that can really reset and uh, oh, it's, it's very unfair, but sometimes, you know, it's uh, something to the show. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that that's like, I think for, for it to be a hundred percent fair, yes, but safety car is a good thing, but for like the excitement and, and the action in the races, I think it's maybe not. Let's go to Nick Vance. He says, Hey, Marcus. Glad to see you'll be returning for a full season next year in a new entry at a fantastic organization, that being Chip Ganassi Racing. Nick says, now that you have a full season under your belt here in the States, what was your favorite aspect of IndyCar racing? And do you have a particular event on the schedule next year you were looking forward to the most? You had a lot of people who asked something similar to that as well. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm super proud and happy and excited and, and you know, all, all the <laughs> words I can come up with about this uh, opportunity with Chip Ganassi Racing. You know, it's uh, it's such a great opportunity for me and, and to, to, to run in, in that team for next season. It's going to be it's gonna be amazing. Uh, I'm super excited about that. Uh, and then, you know, uh, for, for me this year was so much about you know, everything was new for me. You know, the American racing scene, I'd never been, uh, I mean, I've only been to, to Kota really before for the F1 there. So everything else was just completely new for me. And I have to say, it was some really cool tracks that we went to, but it's impossible not to say the Indy 500, you know, it's, it's such a um, such a unique event and, and something that really touched me, really like 
deeply that that whole month you know so i, I can't wait to get back there and try that uh, for a second time especially since it went so well for me as well you know i had a great qualifying great race running in, in the top eight there uh, until i did a mistake in, in, the, in the last part of the race so i really i really want to come back here and, and see what i can do in a year or two let's go to andrew miller perfect question here he asks marcus how did you miss out on doing the ESPN the body photo shoot, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it wasn't a lot of talk about it. So I, I didn't really know it was happening, to be honest. But yeah, uh, what's it like I waking up not, and, and seeing your teammate <laughs> buck naked covering his man parts with his helmet? I mean that that has to be a unique thing you maybe hadn't experienced before in racing. Uh, no, it's that's that's right, that's right. So yeah, uh, not the normal uh, morning read, that's for sure. But hey, and, w- and when you sometimes <laughs> when you see Hinch the next morning and he st- sticks out his hand to shake your hand, do you kind of you know uh, put some alcohol, <laughs> rubbing alcohol, to clean yourself, yeah, yeah, or for what sure, do you do? For sure. Yeah, yeah, that's what you got to do. Oh boy, poor fella. <laughs> uh, let's go to our pal Nathan DeRover, who says, Marcus, what was the number one factor? that made you decide that IndyCar would be the place where you wanted to continue your career after Formula One? And I guess it raises a good question, right? We see some drivers say FIAWEC, for example. That's something we've had Kimmy during a break in his F1 career say, I'm going to go to NASCAR. Just curious what made you look at IndyCar. Uh, I love single-seater racing, and and for me, uh, IndyCar is the, you know, if you don't look at Formula One, then IndyCar for me is the is the best series uh, in single seater racing. Uh, and then for me, what was really like the big thing for me was that it's such a like I said before, you know, it's, it's a championship is really close from the from the number one to the number twenty in the list. You know, it's super close. It's super high competition. Um, that was something that I missed a lot in Formula One, uh, where it's more you know what team you're in and what car you're in. Here it's of course as well in IndyCar there is uh, stronger teams and then you know bigger teams and smaller teams but it's a lot less uh, compared to Formula One. So for me that that was something that I was really uh, excited about IndyCar. But also um, you know from growing up you know I, I remember when Kenny was over in IndyCar racing I was watching that and following that quite a lot as a kid. So already from from back when I was a kid, I was sort of always interested in IndyCar. And then also the aspect of oval racing is something that I've always found very interesting and and something that I've always would have liked to try, you know. And and uh, sort of when this opportunity came up in yeah about a year ago uh, with the with the RSPM team, you know, it was just I was just super excited to to jump straight on that and, and sort of take the chance in American racing and I haven't regretted once. You know, I, I've really had a g- great time so far. There's some crap journalists like myself that might not always make it, you know, perfect, but I understand. I like the no, direction. I mean, there is, there's always, there's always plus and minuses, you know, but you know, I was trying <laughs> to focus on the pluses. <laughs> Let's go to uh, John Hummel Newell who asks, Marcus, how do you feel about the new arrow screen that IndyCar has developed? Obviously you have used uh, halo, but what do you think about the new aero screen and any thoughts on how it might perform in the wet? I think it's great. I think it's, it's fantastic that IndyCar is, um, is pushing for driver safety. And 
you know, I think this is, is state of the art. You know, I think this is uh, better than the Halo. Obviously, it is a Halo with a with, uh, with a you know a screen on. So it's like this this the protection of a Halo plus the, the screen. So it's uh, it's the best of both worlds. Uh, I think for sure, the first time you see it, you know, you sort of struggle to get used to the look of it. Um, but I think if you give it a bit of time, um, I think it will, will look great. And also when, you know, eventually when the new chassis came out and it's more integrated with the, sh- with the chassis and bodywork, it's going to be even better. So I think it's great that IndyCar is going this di- direction. And, uh, and I think coming back to the question with, with the rain, from what I heard in, where were they, in Barber, I think, when there was a rain yes, test. Yep. Um, from what I've heard from that test, it was it was better than you know uh, when you don't have a screen, just because um, the way it was sort of getting the water off, and it always gets tricky on the wiser with uh, with all the yeah water and everything. So I, I think it potentially could be even better in the wet. Got a question here from Grave Robert who says, Marcus, did you have to change your driving style in any way transitioning from F1 to IndyCar? maybe to preserve tire life or work on fuel mileage. And he just asks, are there, is there one thing you would say is your biggest adjustment driving style wise to get the best out of the Indy car? I think the biggest thing is just the downforce difference. Uh, the formula one, the last couple of years has gone to very, very high downforce cars. Whereas in the car with the new arrow kit that came, was it two years ago now? 2018. Uh, went yep. to, yeah, they went the other direction. So, so that's been the biggest challenge for me to sort of get used to a car that's is moving around a lot more. You have to work a lot more with the steering wheel, with the brake and and, and throttle. Uh, you know, the, uh, the the Formula One car these days is just so stuck to the ground. So it's in a way it's a bit more forgiving because of it. Uh, I'm not saying it's easy to be fast in a Formula One car, but it's just. And the way the IndyCar is, I, f- I found it was really difficult to be on the limit because it's so easy to go over it or be a bit below it. So um, I think that's been the sort of biggest thing to get used to that lower downforce level and, and the way that, you know, even if the car is moving around a lot, you can sort of trust that. Or if an F1 car, if it starts to move around, usually, you know, you lose a lot of lap time and you, you, you need to change something. Whereas in the IndyCar, you can watch, you know, Colton or... Uh, Alex Rossi and these guys, you know, they, they, you know, watch some of the onboards of these guys, and it's just like everything going on at, all the time, you know, and, and they're fast, very fast. So, is there something wrong with the been, steering wheel because it's never pointed straight? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's how it looks like. So, um, so, I mean, that's been the biggest thing for me to get used to. And obviously, as as, as we all know, the dolls is also something that's completely. Uh, different to anything else uh, in the motorsport world, and that's been something to get used to. But that's been, I, I would say, you know, easy is, is the wrong word, but it's been easier for me to get used to the ovals compared to the the lower downforce on like the, the road and street courses, mm. which I didn't expect coming into the year for sure. Had a couple people ask a number of questions, Marcus, on the Ganassi signing. Some have asked, when did you guys start talking? Were there other teams you were speaking with? Some have asked, and again, in various ways, what was it that made you decide to go with Ganassi compared to some others? Maybe you can just share some insights about this new team you're heading to. Obviously, with young Felix Rosenquist, who you know well. Also, Mr. Five-Time Champion Scott Dixon. Seems like a pretty amazing opportunity. 
how this come together and, and what led you there? Yeah, I started uh, probably around when uh, after uh, the McLaren thing was uh, was I think before that there was always planned for me to do a two year program. Uh, but then when when all that happened, you know, it was a lot of things going on and and, and with McLaren coming in and, and we we sort of understood that they were they were not sure what was you know what was going to happen on the driver's side uh, with all these things happening in the team. So. Uh, as I said all year, and you know, I really enjoyed it over in IndyCar, we, we had to start looking at different options uh, to make sure I would be on the grid for 2020. Um, so that's sort of around there, that time when that process started. And then um, uh, actually, yeah, you, you had a bit to do with it as well. You helped me out with some <laughs> with phone numbers no. uh, to, to quite a few of the teams. And Don't stuff worry like about that. that. Uh, uh, no, that's true, actually. That's very true. So, yeah, I started to reach out to, to different teams, you know, and, and I think um, I was very happy to, to, to see that or hear that it was a lot of interest for me and a lot of uh, teams had seen that there was a lot of potential in me, even though the results maybe wasn't as good as I would have hoped this first year. Sure. Um, so, so yeah, I was, in, I was in touch with quite a few teams. And, and then from then on, you know, my management was uh, uh, working on it so I could focus on the last uh, races of the year. Um, but that's sort of how, how it started. And then uh, when when it sort of became clear that this Ship Ganassi seat was, was a possibility, I think, you know, it was a no-brainer for... for it would be a no brain for anyone to, to try and everything to go after a seat like that because, you know, with, with, with the history and, and everything with Chip Ganassi, what they've done in the sport, you know, it's it's one of the best teams, not only in IndyCar, but in, in the most world. So, um, yeah, that's sort of how it happened, uh, really. The thing that I'm happiest about for you is, by and large, you get to remove any questions. Right, that that's the thing that drivers in general seek the most. If you're Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes, you wake up every morning knowing there's no question you have the ability to win. Yeah, Charles Leclerc might grab the pole. Who knows how things might end up on the podium, but he knows every day that victory is something he can achieve. Isn't always the case for everyone else. So knowing that you're with a team that can absolutely deliver victories for you i assume that's something that that might be the thing you're happiest about knowing that there's no questions whatever you deliver you know that there's no question or any other factors that might be limiting you from being your best no for sure that's that's very true and i think you know the track record ship can as racing have it's it's just uh, just shows just that what you said so yeah i i'm super like i said i'm super excited about this opportunity and, and also you know, on top of that, to, to work with Scott and Felix, who are, you know, two of the best drivers in the field, you know, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be great. So I can't wait. I, I want to start 2020 tomorrow if I could. <laughs> <laughs> got a couple of people who've asked this question in one way or the other. Uh, we've got our pal Tom Schreier who said, Marcus, congrats on your opportunity with Ganassi. Is it safe to assume you're all in with IndyCar or does F1 still have an appeal? And Tommy Dahlman says, will you still be the backup driver for Alfa Romeo in Formula 1 in 2020, or will that end after you start driving for Chip Ganassi Racing? Uh, on the on the Alfa Romeo side, it's not decided yet what's going to happen for, for next year. Obviously, their season is still ongoing, so 
uh, that uh, sort of them discussions haven't haven't taken place yet. So I don't know about that. What I know though is that you know this is like I've said before. You know this is once in a lifetime sort of opportunity for me and and. And to get this chance with Chip Ganassi Racing, I want to take that with you know both my hands and give it my 110% attention. So that's what I've said to my management. Um, let's see what happens in the next couple of months. But for sure, I want to focus 110% on on this uh, IndyCar program. And, and that's where I see myself uh, in the long term as well. You know, I, I'm, I have not come over to, to America to... To do a year or two and then and then go back you know my plan is to stay here for for a long for a long time and be successful and show what i can do as a driver with that said though you know i i, I don't like to close doors completely you never know what happens in this sport so you know who, who knows what happens in the sport but at the moment if you ask me now you know that's where i where i see myself at the moment one thing about chip he is an understanding man to a small degree but hey Where's our driver? Oh, he's over at Spa. Yeah. No, 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 no. no that's, that's, that's not going to happen. That's Chip will hop on his plane, go to Spa, grab you, <laughs> put you back <laughs> on his plane, and bring you to the track. So that's a, maybe that's a good thing to know, that your driver, your team owner, is a very passionate guy himself. Let's, uh, let's, sure, let's sure. step back to support and love from Sweden here. Got two questions, one from Nikki Svensson. Another one from Bjorn Blomstergren. Nikki says, how does it feel to have the support and a lot of support from Sweden? She says, uh, from what I can tell, there's a lot of Swedish people watching IndyCar this year compared to years before for obvious reasons. And she also says, can even you, Marshall, and the American community feel the new support from us Vikings? And Bjorn says, we in Sweden wish Marcus all the best in the future. Finally, you're in a competitive team. Says, how important is our support for you? So why don't you go first on whether this love, whether it's crazy Swedes in the paddock, waving the flag, or just those sending you messages from home or afar, does that impact you? Does that charge you up with energy? For sure, it does. For sure. I mean, I've had since since my F1 days, I've had great support from back home in Sweden and and that's for sure helps me a lot. Um, I can feel that support, and and I wasn't sure what's going to happen when I moved to IndyCar. You know, wasn't sure if are people going to still follow me when I when I race in IndyCar and support me. And and I have to say, you know, it feels like the support's even grown even more this year. So um, I'm I'm really happy for that. I'm really thankful for that. You know, that I have so so great support from back home, and even on the races. You know, in in America, there's been a lot of Swedish fans traveling. Almost every race there is on Swedish flags on the, on the grandstands and stuff. So, and Swedish people coming up to me in, in the paddock. So that's uh, yeah, it means a lot. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm super thankful for that that support. I loved one of Felix's fans who listened to one of our Week in IndyCar podcasts where he was the guest, and he told me about Fox Piss. And then uh, one of his fans turned up at Portland with a Rosenquist jersey with hashtag Fox Piss across the back of the jersey <laughs> name, which is great. Um, Felix had fans. I mean, they were, his dad was there, too. But, you know, with 2019 Rookie of the Year shirts already made up that they were wearing. Uh, I mean, it's just pretty cool. I like um, it. <laughs> and to answer Nikki's question, yeah, you can absolutely see it. And I think that part's wonderful. Um, one of the things that is a great historical aspect of IndyCar 
especially during the 80s, but mostly I'd say the 90s in cart. We had so many drivers from so many places, Italy, Brazil, Colombia, etc., England, and there was just huge support for all of those drivers. Another thing that I've loved seeing, and you've mentioned with Sweden being a relatively small country in terms of population, we often see the folks from smaller countries getting the biggest support. Uh, and that's a thing that I've loved as well. Could be a driver from Uruguay, could be a driver from Argentina. Love seeing the fact that this tradition has been continuing with you and Felix of, of a nation feeling like these are not just our people, but here's a series that we can invest ourselves into and know that we're going to be welcomed right back. So it's been really great to see Nikki. Let's go to one of my favorite screen names on social media. A guy in a grumpy bear suit asks on a related topic, Marcus, there seems to be something of a Scandinavian renaissance in motorsports right now with Swedes like yourself and Felix and IndyCar, Danes like Nikki team, Kevin Magnuson and high profile drives. Curious, where does that come from? And uh, also asks, were there any drivers that led you to getting started in motorsports? I think up, up in Northern Europe, you know, in Scandinavia, we, we, we've always had, you know, a big interest for motorsport. There's always been, you know, in seventies and eighties, we had a lot of um, rally drivers. Uh, Ronnie Peterson, of course, was, uh, was one of the biggest stars in Sweden in the seventies and in all, you know, period, you know, the, one of the biggest stars in, in Sweden. So I think there is always, always been a quite a big interest for motorsport and, um, for me, you know, it, it started with, you know, I'm, I'm not from a motorsport family, so it's not a natural thing for me to be a, a racing driver. But luckily for me, the, the area I'm from in, in Sweden is called Urbro, where we have, you know, it's the same place where Ronnie Peterson was from. And, and also we have um, quite a lot of drivers for some reason that comes from this area. So, um, so I started with go-karts um, because of a Swedish touring car driver who was uh, having a rental go-karts place close to my home that I sort of convinced my dad I wanted to go to every every time I got a chance to. And uh, and that's sort of how, how I started. Um, but yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's, it's a big interest for motorsports uh, up there in, in the north of, of Europe. I love it. And someone else has asked, too, about heroes, and I guess Scandinavian in general, but in particular, if we think of a Gunnar Nilsson, uh, we think of Ronnie Peterson, uh, our friend Andy Halbury asked if either of them were heroes of yours, or any of the legends uh, of maybe Swedish racing, even those who were you know well before you were born, if any of those are heroes or inspiration for you. Yeah, for me, for me, the biggest one would be Ronnie Pearson, obviously coming from the same place as me and, and sort of trying to uh, learn more about him and, and how he was. He never won a world championship, but he was always ranked one of the best drivers uh, ever. Raced. For me, if I have to pick someone, then, then it would be Ronnie Peterson. Have you had a chance to spend some time speaking with Mario Andretti about Ronnie? Because obviously, with the two of them as teammates, he had a great love and affinity for him. I saw a photo recently where Mario got together with Ronnie's daughter and such, but he's certainly a vast treasure of stories about, uh, about Ronnie. Actually, I have to do that. I haven't done that. And, and that's, uh, yeah, I, that's for sure. Something I need to do here in, uh, in 2020 because, um, yeah, I, I know Ronnie's daughter quite well, you know, and 
when I did uh, in, in Monaco in 2014, when I did my first Monaco GP as a F1 driver, I actually had a tribute helmet with the same design as, as Ronnie was racing. And yeah. that was 40, 40 years since he had won the Monaco Grand Prix in 74. So that was a very special weekend. And that weekend, uh, Nina, uh, his daughter, was there as my special guest and everything. So, um, so yeah, that was a very, very special weekend for me. Now I'm going to make sure to get you and Mario together just because he loves, loves talking about him. So that should be a fun thing. Stacy Hayes asks, curious about primary sponsorship of your Ganassi, the number eight Honda you will be driving. Stacy wanting to know when we might learn more about uh, the colors of the car, the branding on the car, etc. cetera. Uh, I'm hoping there's going to be a, a nice little press launch here sometime in the off season. Yeah, as far as I know, they're working on on it now, and, and they're pretty close at signing a, a main sponsor for the car. Um, so yeah, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, we will we will know uh, more about it and how the car will look and, and everything. Uh, but at the moment, I, I don't know it uh, how it will look, but I'm sure it's going to look amazing. <laughs> Let's go to Daniel Kincaid. This is Marcus after one full season of IndyCar under your belt. Where do you think your biggest area for improvement might be in season two? Qualifying, tire management, chassis setup, in and out laps. Curious if you've targeted one specific area that you want to improve upon. I think for me, it's, it's two areas where I need to improve. And if I can improve in them two areas, I will be very strong. And that is qualifying, first of all. I think my qualifying pace this year was was a big problem. Um and in the races, I was usually very strong, but he's starting a bit too far back. And the number two is just limiting the mistakes. I did too many driver errors this year. And for sure, we, I was a bit unlucky with, with other things, you know, happening out of my control. But for sure, there was a few times too many that I did driver errors when I was on for really good results. So... Uh, so that's my two things, you know, to, to work on minimizing the errors and then qualify better. And that's two of the main, uh, you know, areas where I'm focusing on now in the off season to, to work really hard with my mental trainer uh, to analyze this first year uh, of racing. I think on the qualifying side, I think the, the track knowledge in a year two is going to be a big thing because I can just start the weekends on a different sort of level as this year, you know, I had to start every weekend to start learning the track in the first practice, first practice and also in second practice. And I was always a bit on the back foot. So I think that's going to help, but uh, yeah, that's my big, two big areas that I need to sort of uh, make sure I have controlled. Let's go to two questions here, similar in tone, one from Mike Jablo, one from Bryce and Frank, both curious about the next Marcus Erickson's possibly making that trek from F1, maybe even F2 to IndyCar. They're curious. Are there any that you think of or know of that might like to come over here and try what you have come to enjoy? And Bryson in particular asks, if there are any reasons you think some F1 drivers shy away from IndyCar, looking at it as maybe a more enjoyable or competitive alternate to F1 if they're not in a front-running car. I don't know. I I think um, I don't know a specific driver uh, that's, that's looking at coming to, to IndyCar at the moment from from the F1 world. Um, I find it a bit strange that there's not more drivers that looks at it. Um, I know the oval sort of argument is 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 always there with with drivers in Europe um, that they are 
most mostly not keen to to do the ovals. Um, but apart from that, I, I I'm not sure why why there isn't more looking at the IndyCar because, like I said before, you know I think it's it is a great series and, and you know it's so much fun to to be a driver in this series. Um, that's what I keep telling everyone that I you know know back in Europe as well. So maybe it will change in a couple of years. I don't know. AC Olson asks, which NHL team is your favorite? I had a few other folks who wondered, uh, knowing that I believe you gave NBCSN IndyCar pit reporter Kevin Lee a little bit of a, uh, did a little feature with you on uh, NHL team. But from an American hockey standpoint, do you have a favorite team and how much do you follow what goes on here in the NHL maybe versus some of your home team favorites? I, I don't really have one specific team that I sort of, follow in the NHL I, I know quite a few of the players so I sort of try and follow them and just a big ice hockey fan so I sort of watch a lot of it um, but yeah I like to you know I, I, I'm i friend with Eric Carlson in the Sharks and Hampus Lindholm in the Ducks um, uh, Carl Gunnarsson in the St. Louis and, and you know yeah I know, I know a few players and I try and follow them and see how they get on and, 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 and that's sort of but yeah, I, I watch an unhealthy amount of hockey. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Good man. Daniel Davidson asks, Marcus, what was the most eye-opening oval experience? The high speeds at the Indy 500, the trickiness of Pocono, the high banks of Texas being put in the spin cycle at Iowa, or the drag strips with tight turns at Gateway? What was the one uh, the one oval you did this year where you said, Holy crap! These people are mental. I think for me it was Texas. Um, <laughs> yeah, good that, call. That track is that track is complete, completely crazy. But I love it at the same time. You know, it was it's such a rush to drive there, and, and especially the race. You know, almost two hours under the lights with that speed and you know G forces and everything. It was completely nuts, but I loved it. <laughs> so I can't wait to get back there. But that was the biggest sort of. Shit, this everyone is crazy in this in this on this field, you know. Um, that was my biggest sort of feel like that for sure. And I would just say to to any of your your fans, your countrymen and women who might want to come see you at a couple of races next year. I mean, obviously the Indy Five Hundred's the big one. You've got a few others: Long Beach and Monterey and Road America. Again, there, there's amazing tracks to go to. But as an American, Texas is the most American, just holy shit, what are you guys doing type event. It's under the lights, right? So it's at night, it's dark, it's loud. The speeds are brutal. There's usually some bad decision-making that leads to some crumpled cars, unfortunately. But it is truly, it's one of those events, very few events left these days, Marcus, where you go home just saying your prayers that everyone is okay because it's just, it's a little bit off-putting. And yeah, so for those who want to see something that I can guarantee you, you're not going to find anywhere else, don't sleep on Texas. That is one that's just, it's a little crazy. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And, and I, I didn't sleep much after that, you know, Saturday night, <laughs> night after that race. I was so pumped up. I couldn't, couldn't sleep all night. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was a crazy experience. But like I said, at the same time, I loved it. It was such a cool, cool race. So can't wait to get back to next year. All right. Last couple of questions here, Marcus. Vinny B asks, 
if there could be an IndyCar race in Sweden, where would you want to have it? And I guess that raises the question of, do you think of a classic natural terrain circuit? Or do you try and come up with a first-time street course race? So you get to be the promoter here. Yeah, I would go with a street course race. Um, I don't think there is... uh, I mean, there is some good some decent tracks around in Sweden for sure, but I would probably try and do a street race in, in either Stockholm or my beloved hometown, Urebro. Mm. Oh, well, Urebro, gonna... a.k.a. the racing capital of Sweden. <laughs> well, it's done. And we'll, uh, <laughs> we're going to put our man, granted, he's, uh, he's Norwegian, but we're going to put our man, Anders Krohn, on this. He's, he, he's good at managing good. complex tasks like that. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Eli Hoopengarner. He says, Marcus, how does the process of making a setup change in IndyCar compare to Formula One? He asks, are driver setup preferences acknowledged? Or are you limited solely by what the engineers mandate? So that's an interesting one as well, right? We know IndyCars compared to your average Formula One car, not as high tech, a little more mechanical grip, a little more analog. But curious what you found in terms of working with, say, a team of F1 engineers versus a team of IndyCar engineers, and how tuning the car to your liking was maybe different from one series to the next. I think, you know, the, the way you work with your engineers is, is, is very similar uh, in, in IndyCar and in Formula 1. Uh, it's always that relationship with the driver and engineer that's very important. But obviously in, in Formula 1, it's a bit more people that you have to communicate with. In IndyCar, it's a bit smaller engineering group um, which is not always a bad thing um, sometimes it's too many chefs in the kitchen uh, if you understand um, and then I think also one one bigger difference as well is that obviously with IndyCar is more one spec so you cannot you know in F1 if you're lacking something you can try and build that thing or build something that helps that area uh, whereas in IndyCar you need to sort of come around with, with the setup changes so that's something that's make it a bit different the way you have to, to, to work and the way you have to sort of have your mindset uh, around it. So in F1, you can sort of try and fix a problem, whereas in IndyCar, it's more you can fix that problem, but then maybe it creates a problem somewhere else and you have to sort of take that plus and minuses and sort of try and add up and see what's, what's the ultimate thing for, for lap time, you know. So it's a bit different, but uh, in many ways it's similar as well. Vader Heftig asks, how's your brother's racing career progressing? And also asks, are you hanging out with very young Swede, Rasmus Lind? And also asks, what do you think of Rasmus's chances in 2020? Uh, so my brother, Hampus, he's uh, just finished his uh, first year in Formula 3 in the, in the UK. He had one win, um, a bit up and down season. But yeah, he had one win, which was great, uh, great to see. We are at the moment working to see what we what program he's going to do next year. It's not decided yet. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to help as much as I can there with uh, with everything I can help with. Um, so yeah, we just have to wait and see a bit uh, for the next couple of months. Uh, but he's, he's good. He's fast. He's, uh, he's really good. Uh, on, on Rasmus, uh, I know Rasmus uh, for a few years and you know, I see him every now and then. He's obviously a very talented and, and good racing driver. I was uh, trying to follow his progress this year. He did a really good season. It's a shame he just missed out during the championship, but um, I know he's testing in the lights uh, 
pretty soon, next couple of days. Maybe, yeah, yeah, the Chris, the Chris Griffiths test, I believe he's going to be with the Andretti Autosport team, I think I might have read. Um, yeah, that sounds about right, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to follow that closely, and hopefully, you know, I, I know that their plan is to move up to the, in the lights uh, for Rasmus, and, you know, that would be great, and, and you know, I'm, I'm sure he would do really well there. So, uh, let's see, but, yeah, he's, uh, he's also, you know, a very good driver, and uh, it's fun to see, you know, there is more Swedes uh, coming up through the ranks. One of my favorite Swedes, Stefan Johansson, is helping Rasmus and helping to plot and steer his young career, so knowing how much that has helped, I guess, his longest client, Scott Dixon. Uh, obviously, also Felix Rosenquist as well. I uh, have to believe that Rasmus is in the right hands. Any chance of seeing uh, your brother on the road to Indy here at some point in time, or are his eyes fixed on Formula One? No, there is for sure a possibility. He was, uh, he was with me in, uh, in Laguna Seca, so he was there for that weekend, and uh, enjoyed that a lot, he said. So for sure, there is an option there. Uh, I don't know if there is an option for next year already, but but for sure in the future, that option is, is for sure there. Let's go to another uh, another fine Swedish person here, another listener, Connie Whitcorson, who says, uh, Whitcorson, I should say, says, Mark is so happy to see you in a team that knows how to win races and championships. Is curious how you see yourself fitting into the Ganassi team? It's a really great question, right? It's one thing if you're stepping into, say, an Aero SPM as you did in 2019. Team trying to get to the top, not there yet. Still some steps to figure out. So maybe expectations weren't championship in the first year. What's your mindset coming to Ganassi where you know they are going to hold you to... I don't know if I should say much higher standard of expectation, but uh, Chip, as he loves to say, Chip likes winners. And that's also a nice way of saying he doesn't like losers. How do you see yourself fitting into this maybe high-pressure, higher-pressure team? Yeah, I mean, for sure, it's it's like you say, you come to a team like Chip Ganassi Racing, you you know, the pressure goes up and you you have to deliver. Uh, It's no question about it. it's something you know i'm used to throughout my career and you know in formula one you always have a lot of pressure to deliver and i i always say that you know the more pressure the better i perform and that's something um, i've shown throughout my career when it's been sort of uh, not sure what i would do the next season and stuff like that and you know it's been you know high pressure for me to deliver and then i've always done my best racing then so Hopefully that will continue that, like that next year because for sure they expect me to be right up there and you know be right on the pace with uh, with Scott and, and Felix. So that's what I expect as well. Uh, so that's sort of what we need to aim at and uh, and uh, and work towards. Got three more questions for you here, and then we are all done for this episode. Sam Yoder says, Marcus, you're involved with the successful Drive to Survive. Formula One series on Netflix says, would you be interested in being part of a similar documentary series about IndyCar? He says, hashtag me personally, I think it'd be a great way to engage new and old fans alike. I love the idea of that. You know, I think that the uh, drive, uh, drive to survive uh, series uh, they did with F1 was, was a great success. And it, it created a lot of new fans just because, 
you know, you get that accent, um, you know, that um, behind the scenes sort of things that people love. And I think uh, to do something similar in in the car would be would be great to, um, to yeah, reach out to more people and then you know show how fantastic and exciting our sport is. The thing I love about that series, Marcus, I don't know if you had a chance to catch all the episodes, um, but I've never understood how Haas Racing Team Principal Gunther Steiner has had a job in Formula One, much less been offered multiple jobs in F1. Watching the documentary series here, A, confirmed that suspicion, but B, I fell in love with just how off kilter he is i mean just talking shit about his own team talking shit about any and everyone else feels like uh the world is against him at all times one of the craziest most complex characters i just thought he was completely inept little did i know he was amusing as hell too so yeah uh, I don't know who that person would be if they did an IndyCar series. Probably a lot of us. Many of us have issues. But, yeah, good old Gunther. Anytime he came on screen, I'm like, oh, this is going to be magic. And he never disappointed. So, uh, I agree. I agree. All right. Well, I lied. We got uh, one or I should have said four questions ago. None of them will take too long here. But got a, a lot of great folks who've asked some pretty interesting things. Tim Hubble being one of them. Says, Marcus, after... Spending time in F1 and now a season in IndyCar, can you speak a little bit about the physical difference between the two on the driver? Not so much the performance of the cars, but more in your effects of your body and G-forces, steering loads, bumps, general physicality, and has it precipitated any changes to your fitness regimen? Funny we should get this question while you are preparing to train your body and mind for next season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm down in Italy here in Formula Medicine to to do a training training camp this week. Uh, but yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's for sure a bit different. Obviously, the biggest thing being the power steering that you have in Formula One versus no power steering in IndyCar, and um, and also you know talking a bit about what we talked about before with the higher downforce cars in in F1 compared to IndyCar. So I would say for the neck and shoulder area, it's a bit less stressful and in the car versus is a lot more for the arms and and you know it's tougher for the arms and, and upper body for yeah i would say with the, within the car and then also the tracks we run in the car i would say it's usually more physical because it's so bumpy and <laughs> intense and you know not a lot of straight lines whereas f1 uh, a few quite a few of the tracks have quite long straights where it's some sort of reset your body and sort of get onto the next one Whereas in IndyCar, a lot of the tracks are just constantly corners and corners and bumps and things going on. So uh, I would say overall, though, it's it's pretty similar the way like after a race you are. I feel pretty similar that you are, you know, tired in, in your body for sure, and, but in a similar way. And I think both cars are very tough to, to drive uh, in, in a bit different ways. All right. Our penultimate question comes from Toshi Yamanishi who asks, Marcus, how different are the paddocks between IndyCar and Formula One? And says that stereotypically, IndyCar is known for being a friendlier environment, and Formula One stereotypically is known for being a less friendly environment. Do you find those things to be true at all? And do you prefer the environment of one over the other? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's no secret that uh, IndyCar is a lot more open and a lot more, you know, inviting for fans, you know, to engage with drivers and teams. So that is for sure a big difference compared to F1, where it's a lot more, you know, uh, difficult for fans, especially to get close to, to the drivers and the teams. So that is very different. Uh, I know in Formula One, they're trying to sort of make it, more accessible and uh, I think that's a good way to go because in the end of the day if we don't have any fans then you know uh, it's, it's important to make the fans happy and make them feel um, involved you know and I think that's something that IndyCar is doing really well I think from a driver perspective I think the drivers hang out a bit more in the car do a bit more things together so it's, I would say a little bit better atmosphere between drivers in IndyCar versus in Formula 1 and but also in Formula One to the defense of Formula One drivers is it's a lot more uh, it's a, it's a longer and busier days in, in on an F1 weekend compared to an IndyCar weekend. Not sure. saying we're not busy in IndyCar, but uh, it's it's a bit different um, that way, you know. So um, for sure, there's differences. Um, no question about it. Let's close with a question I saved for the end from Ron Thompson. I really like this one, so thank you for sending it in, Ron. He says, Marcus, Alexander Rossi said he knew he wanted to be an IndyCar after finishing 18th in his first race, but after driving a terrible car all the way up to 18th place. He asks, what was your this-is-where-I-want-to-be moment when it came to wanting to stay in IndyCar? That's difficult. I think, you know, I think, I think from the start, I, I really uh, enjoyed it. You know, I had my first test in Sebring. That was really fun, a fun car to drive. And then, you know, uh, the first couple of races was also, even though not the results I wanted, it was still a lot of fun. Just the racing, you know, you were racing, even if you were on P15, you were racing people uh, wheel to wheel. And, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. But probably... Yeah, when I did the Indy 500, that sort of yeah, sort of made it clear to me that this is uh, this is what I want to do. This is uh, it's amazing. So probably that was that was yeah the biggest sort of hundreds moment. of thousands of drunk screaming Americans made <laughs> Marcus Harrison decide this is where I want to be. No, I hear you, man. It is something like that. Doing it your the first time, especially race morning. Like when they're doing driver introductions, or even if you get to walk out and see beforehand, you just walk out and you see this mass of humanity all there to celebrate this more than a hundred year old tradition. So just really cool to know how much that resonated with you as well. Well, Mr. Erickson, thank you for taking time. Thank you as always for supporting this, whether it's a podcast or whatever it is that I'm doing. Thanks for taking time at Monterey doing our, our little rookies uh, live podcast very small and it was intentionally small we had about I don't know 30 guests or so in, in a tiny little room there but just had some fun with folks there just wanted to thank you for not just being a good sport but really doing your best to engage and be a member of the family and the community and you know erase those lines uh, of drivers being folks who are just cannot be you know, touched or communicated with. So it was really fun to see you embrace this new opportunity and want to dive in and be part of the family here in your first year. Thank you. And thanks for having me on the show. And thanks to all the fans and everyone that's sending questions. 
appreciate it. In Love Can- a good one. In Canada, we're going to kick your butt, man. We're Sweden's moving to number three we after are. this episode. We are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, my friend, and I'll look forward cool. to speaking soon. Thank you.